0: Hi, I'm Mark Rotterman. Coming up, a conversation with the leadership of the General Assembly. We'll discuss Tuesday's primary results, the economy, and we'll get a preview of the upcoming session of the General Assembly.
1: Next. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by Funding for the lightning round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash
0: Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Tim Moore, the North Carolina Speaker of the House, Dan Blue, Democratic Leader in the State Senate, Mr. Jim Perry, the Majority Whip in the State Senate, and Robert Reeves, the Democratic Leader in the House. Let's begin with the results of Tuesday's primary. Mr. Speaker, you've got the floor.
2: Well, thank you. I think the uh, results of the primary showed that voters overwhelmingly were choosing to vote in the Republican primary. If you look at the unaffiliated voters, if you look at Republican voters, there was a huge turnover. And so there was uh, a very strong uh, outcome for for Congressman Bud, who's now going to probably be, I would say, our uh, next U.S. senator. Uh, We had a couple surprises in some legislative primaries, probably on both sides of the aisle. Uh, but I would say that, that our side of the aisle, we feel very poised, uh, very strong going into the elections this fall. Uh, glad the primaries are over that we can now focus on the general.
0: Dan, what struck you about these primaries?
3: Uh, I think the, the, the far-reaching arms of Donald Trump still in the Republican Party in North Carolina.
0: Is it a populist party now? Uh,
3: America First Party? Uh, American First Party it is. I don't know whether it's really populist because I don't believe it's addressing the real concerns and issues uh, of Americans and North Carolinians. Was it a loss
0: for Kalinas. the uh, Republican establishment, you think?
3: Oh, yeah. It was a big loss for the Republican. Does the Republican establishment exist anymore? That's, that's the real question. Uh, and, and I think also the, uh, the, the, the turnout... Uh, I'm not like uh, the speaker. I'm I'm not really that encouraged by uh, unaffiliated turnout, uh, either in the Republican primary or the Democratic primary. Yeah, but 60
0: percent of uh, people who are independent went to get that ballot. The ballot were Republican, right?
4: They they were. They they pulled that ballot almost two to one for the Republican Party. I I think that was uh, very encouraging for us and uh, for what we anticipate will happen in November.
0: Robert, your thoughts?
5: Well, what I liked about what happened, at least on our side of the aisle, is I like the fact that you saw, really similar to what uh, Senator Blue was saying, people voting for those local candidates, people voting for people that they knew, people that they trusted, and that, that were part of a North Carolina brand.
0: Well, are you,
3: Dan, are you concerned about Democratic turnout in the fall? Uh, no, I think it'll be up. You've got to understand, uh, on top of the ticket this fall is the United States Senate race. Uh, on the Democratic side, uh, there was very little opposition for our nominee. Sherry Beasley was going to win going away. Will Biden so come in for her? Uh, <laughs> if she invites him in, I guess he would come. Uh, but, but you know, Mark, uh, on that line, I'd like to make one, one issue. Uh, Democrats in North Carolina are accustomed to running a separate, independent campaign from the right. national More. ticket. That's what we've done over the years. It's just... Obama brought us back into the fold uh, so that Democrats started identifying really with the national ticket. Uh, We're running on issues that are important to people, the everyday issues, putting bread on the table, putting money in their pockets, uh, giving their kids a good education. And that's what uh, our issues are, and that's what uh, the Democratic Party will be known for after this election. Mr. Speaker,
0: is this going to be about kitchen table issues in the fall?
2: Well, I think it certainly is because right now the, the folks in this state see what's happening nationally they see a president that has stymied the production of energy and now we're paying more than $4 a gallon for gas 459 just, today just today it was announced that in Washington state that they've reprogrammed the uh, gas pumps to be able to charge $10 a gallon uh, unheard of and you have that you have just in uh, just ridiculous inflation. You have a border crisis and the voters of this state, the voters around the country realize that that Washington is failing them and that the policies coming out of uh, this president and the Democratic Congress and Senate are nothing that uh, we need to keep in place. Robert,
0: I know you agree with that, right?
2: Absolutely
5: not. So. <laughs> <laughs> And, and what I think, I do believe it's going to be about kitchen table issues, but a lot of that's going to be determined by the folks at this table and about the folks that are in the leadership. Um, I think the bottom line is people need something to happen for them right now. We've gotten through COVID, but we haven't gotten through all of the bad things that have happened to us as a result of COVID. and We got to keep working on that.
0: Well, I want to stay on the economy and talk to talk to you. What are your folks telling you in your district about the
3: economy?
5: Uh, The the one thing is everybody's concerned about energy, everybody's concerned about inflation, but I think the good thing about the folks in my district is they also understand that, that that's a lot of factors going in. So, for instance, when you look at the gas prices, at any point in time, the oil companies could say, you know, we're getting a little bit much. We can try to bring this down a little bit. When it comes down to inflation, you look at things like what happened at the Texas border where they were stymieing all this produce coming in. You got $240 million worth of produce lost because we're doing extra security checks. The bottom line is this. We should all be working together to try to figure out things that bring these prices down for people, that make people more secure in the economy and have more faith in the government. Jim,
0: are Biden's energy policies driving inflation?
5: I think if you look at the latest uh,
4: PolitiFact that I saw released, because we've heard a lot about the the war in Ukraine driving gas prices. Gas prices have been going up for a long time before that happened. We certainly saw a spike. So, you know, I, I think we can complicate it. We can make it very cloudy, but there there seems to be a direct correlation in my mind.
2: Well, it's the spending too, right, my friend? Well, it's unparalleled spending at this point. We've never seen a federal government spend so much money that it doesn't have. Uh, Mortgaging our children and our grandchildren's future, uh, it's absolutely reckless what's happening. And so you can compare that though, to what we have done in North Carolina, where we have reined in spending, where we have lowered taxes, we've cut regulations. You have a lot of states that are under different leadership that are populations are fleeing. You look at North Carolina, still one of the most desirable states in the country for people to move. And it's because of a lot of the policies here, but we are frankly dealing with a lot of the national policies that are now having an impact on us. You mentioned energy prices, uh, inflation. I mean, this is this is a big deal. And despite all the great work that's happening, these things are going to impact
4: us. You know, I think the two greatest kitchen table issues that are not political but do impact every family, price of gas, price of food. And there, no one here denies that they are through the roof and impacting people in our state every
3: day. What's the cure for that, my friend? Well, the, the first cure is we have an excess in, in revenue, much more than we projected. First thing we ought to do is immediately put money in people's pockets, suspend the, the taxes that we charge on gas. Use that money so that we can offset the reduction in the highway fund, we can still build roads and repair them, but give that money directly to those who are having to pay the additional taxes on gas. Uh, around this table, we could agree to do that. Uh, drivers around the state uh, would then Pay less for gas because they wouldn't be paying the state tax on it, and we pay it until this, till we dig out of uh, this situation. It is not just what's happening. Does this remind in
0: you of ni- a 1970, Dan? Uh, recession.
3: It, it 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 does, and these these guys won't remember s- sitting in gas lines uh, for a long time, uh, sometimes three four hours at the time because of the Arab uh, embargo. Uh, but there are all of these international factors that impact the price of oil. I don't control any of the cartels. I don't know, maybe some of you do. Uh, But you're absolutely right. They could reduce it. They're jacking the price up. Uh, The oil is the same oil that it was before all of these other pressures, before the war in Ukraine. Uh, uh, And and all of these things are coming together. We're coming through a pandemic. Uh, We got all of the issues uh, uh, with supply chain. Uh, uh, the, the, and the ability to deliver goods, uh, and so I'm saying that we could take immediate action, though, uh, not placing blame, but simply put money in people's pockets but right we now.
0: We are energy independent under Trump, pretty much.
4: Jim. Yes. I think we we had a, a much different situation, and, and my friend mentioned the 1970s. I think the worst budget shortfall we had since the 70s was around 2009, with about a 4.5 billion dollar hole that we had on about a 21 million dollar budget. And with the uncertainty we have in the economy, the difficulties we've already faced with DOT funding, $11 billion of uh, unfunded projects out in the future, I I have serious concerns about um, touching a gas tax when they're already low on funds.
0: Well, I want to come right back to you and talk about what's on tap this session at the General Assembly.
4: Well, I, I think, you know, it, we hope to keep it a, a short session. We all agree on that. You know, we want to get yeah, in and out. He was
0: talking about going on vacation.
4: <laughs> well, we, we, we hope to be able to if we can get out of there. But I think you'll see continued uh, policy decisions that you've seen in the past. We, there is uncertainty in the economy. We do have concerns about growing spending at any time to unsustainable rates. Going back to 2009, revenue was growing at 1% and expenses were growing at 9%. You know, that's a classic bubble. We want
5: to avoid that and be methodical in our approach to spending.
0: What are your top priorities, Robert?
5: Well, again, back what Senator Blue was saying, is trying to figure out ways to put money back in people's pockets. You know, whether that be through some type of tax cut that we do for personal people, whether that be for any type of issue that gives us an opportunity to make sure that people get to spend money.
4: I love to hear Robert talking about tax cuts. We totally agree on that. And of course, the
5: difference is though I'm looking at, <laughs> no, I'm looking at cause
0: of supply side. Yeah,
5: I'm trying to cut taxes for people that I see every day. They're cutting taxes for people they see every day, <laughs> and now, that's a big is difference. Is Medicaid
0: expansion <laughs> on
2: uh, on the table this cycle? Uh, I do not see Medicaid expansion having met much legs in the House at this point. Uh, it's a it's a very detailed conversation. It's an issue that's been around for for years and years. Uh, But as far as seeing that in a very short session, look, I'm anticipating us being in session about six weeks uh, in and out. We're already working through. We've already made a great deal of headway on our state budget in terms of the parameters, the spending amounts. uh, The tax issues are still something they're being held open. And I want to talk with all these gentlemen about other ways we can we can engage in tax relief. So uh, I think issues like Medicaid expansion, there's issues about. Marijuana, there's all these issues that, keep up, is that on bringing up. Those, those are issues that need to be dealt with in a long session, not in a short session.
0: Dan, what about the rural hospitals? though? they're really hurting? They could use Medicaid
3: expansion, <laughs> couldn't they? They surely could. Uh, plus, uh, that uh, Senator Perry was talking about uh, the lack of being able to project reliably as to what revenue is going to be. Everybody knows that that would generate an additional four billion dollars, uh, because the state would not have to pay one dime to expand Medicaid. Uh, It's already paid for in various other proposals that have been before us. Uh, But but also, that $4 billion plus the $4 billion that we're talking about that we know that's coming in from the excess revenue that we already have in the projections uh, could be of great help to people immediately. There's no need in looking further down the road than restoring uh, the, the, the tax holiday for, for, for folk trying to buy new supplies for their kids to go back to school. Uh, uh, we could make it without that revenue uh, and that would be money in people's pockets along with, as I said, uh, giving them relief at the gas pump, giving them relief at the supermarket. Uh, th- those are the issues that they're dealing with. Those are the table topic issues that this, uh, the, the, this session ought to be about. And Jim, I'm Medicaid
0: expansion, the fear though is 90% of it's federally funded, right?
4: Yeah, I think that has been a concern over time that uh, many people have expressed. There's also uh, policy concerns among some members. I I think anytime someone expresses sincere concerns or thoughts on an issue and you begin the conversation by dismissing them or telling them they're wrong, the conversation's over. So I do think it requires, a great deal of thought and conversation, and uh, it's an important topic. You know, healthcare is a, a big issue in our state. Uh, Senator Blue mentioned the, the hospitals benefiting from Medicaid expansion. I also know there's a federal program out there to adjust Medicaid rates right now that can benefit hospitals. I, I think that we have, a you know, a lot of opportunities for conversation going forward.
3: But it's an eight-year conversation. It's time to reach a conclusion.
0: Broadband, how are we doing on that? I see the Fed just gave uh, North Carolina $100 million. We're
5: doing well on broadband. We need to do better because the bottom line is in these rural areas, you still can't yeah. get it. And some of that's going to have to come from some policy changes within the building. We can have all the money that you want to put out there, but if you don't make some basic policy changes so that this broadband can immediately get into these rural areas, then you just hit into in a real tight spot. And I think we need to just do that.
0: Jim, is broadband a necessity in those rural areas?
5: I, I think it is, and I think we've seen the
4: uh, the impact of the pandemic you know, really shine a spotlight on that. Uh, for quality of life, for health care, for academic reasons. Uh, it is something that we will continue to push forward on.
0: Are we looking, Mr. Speaker, at a bonus for teachers and state employees or an increase in pay?
2: We're actually looking at a pay increase, at an actual raise. Um, don't want to reveal what the number is just yet, but it's a pretty, it's a very generous one uh, to help out, to really deal with inflation, plus to take into account the fact that we do have this surplus. But it can't be stated enough, a lot of this surplus that we have is not Recurring or ongoing money; it's one-time, non-recurring money. Are so, you talking to the governor? Uh, we will. We, we will be talking to him next week. What's your
0: week. reaction to his budget proposal?
2: You know, I think he has some some good points in there, but I think there's some the numbers don't necessarily add up in a lot of ways. So we need to. I, th- I think we'll do a better job of Have
3: it. Have you looked at that, Dan? Uh, yes, yeah. I've looked at the governor's proposal, and I'm encouraged uh, uh, that the speaker is talking about permanent pay raises. Uh, for teachers, I assume as well, well as he state got, employees. Two point five in yeah. his budget for teachers. He's got two and a half for, for teach. He's got two and a half of state employees and teachers. Yeah. We I have
2: mean. we have two and a half already built in. Built, yeah, for no, our he's talking sec, about for our second year, He's talking so. about an
3: addition to the current yeah. raise that's built in. Okay. Any final thoughts, my friend?
4: No, I, I think that all we time all time. hope to get in and out, you know, and have a, a nice short session. And I, I think we'll see. Consistency in our approach to budgeting, as you've well, seen. Well, don't leave by too
0: soon. We want everything. To talk to you. wrap this up, my friend.
5: <laughs> <laughs> what I would simply say is this: is we've got a lot of opportunities in this budget. I agree. This is one-time money. We've got to use that one-time money to make our economy better.
4: Well,
2: and I'll say this on that: a lot of okay. the great capital projects we funded. Oh, yeah. It's more expensive to build now than it was. Months ago when we passed it so we're gonna have to even adjust that just to keep where we where we were
0: great conversation I want to talk about something that's been in the news is very controversial and that's the overturning of Roe versus Wade What's the impact on North Carolina if that happens?
3: Well first? uh, uh, not just North Carolina, but you're gonna have a hundred million women uh, who are disappointed uh, that uh, a bunch of males uh, do not respect Uh, and do not adequately protect their right to autonomy over their own bodies. Uh, This is a country predicated on liberty and freedom. And when you take away the ability of somebody to determine what happens with their own body, you're taking away those freedoms. But in addition to that, I think uh, that you're going to have, if if, if in fact Roe versus Wade is reversed, uh, you're not going to end up ending abortions. What you're gonna do is drive a lot of them to the back streets, back alleys, and so you're gonna have more people who uh, are in hospitals, more people who have permanent physical damage because they get a botched abortion. Uh, They're going to occur, Roe versus Wade made it safe, uh, and it's progeny Roe v. Wade and Casey and the other cases that followed so what to happened in North Carolina is we ought to codify The current status of Roe versus Wade uh, Into law in North Carolina so that we can allay these fears of all of these women so that we can have healthy abortions Occurring they're going to occur anyhow. We just need to make sure that they're safe Tim
0: they're protesting in front of the judges house the Supreme Court Justice's house Is, is that legal?
2: Well, it certainly the, this whole thing Are they has intimidating been, the judges. Well, it the fact that a decision was leaked in such a way, or a draft opinion. I don't know that that's happened in the history of the U.S. Supreme Court, and I that actually bothers me a lot. I mean, that that's that's. Uh, that's a problem, that's an institutional problem there. In terms of where things go, you know, the I, I've been in the General Assembly long enough that I've seen the vitriol at a very high level uh, where, where folks, uh, where, where protesting happens, and so there has to be that balance between, folks need to have the right to protest, but we don't need to allow it to become uh, violent at all. So there's going to be a... Jim,
0: what... Uh, yeah,
4: if if Roe v. Wade is overturned, uh, I, I think the... And that's if, right? All we've seen is a, a draft opinion. Uh, I think the impact on North Carolina immediately is, is nothing. The, the question for Roe v. Wade is, is there a constitutional right to abortion? Is it guaranteed by our or United States Constitution? Or should it be voted on in the states? Well, we will see what happens with the opinions right, or is it a states rights issue? But right. I, I think we have the cart before the horse right now, and uh, we need to see an opinion actually
5: come out at some point.
0: Robert, is the uh, Supreme Court becoming too political?
5: I mean The Supreme Court has definitely become too political. Part of that is the lifetime appointment. Part of that is the fact that when we started lifetime appointments when the Supreme Court was originally put together, you had 60-year-old men that were being put on whose life expectancy was 69. Now we're putting on 40 and 45-year-old people whose life expectancy is 90, and we expect that to be able to keep up. And I think one of the points that you don't bring up about Roe versus Wade that is uh, salient to me is if you look at Alito's draft opinion, that's not just about Roe versus Wade. That's about rolling back a lot of different rights that have come about as this country has grown and changed over the last two hundred years. Alito prefers a strict interpretation of the Constitution, which, you know, to be candid, I wouldn't be sitting here on your show right now if we had too strict of an interpretation of the Constitution. And that's something we've got to be conscious of. And that's what my concern is. And that's where the politicization occurred. Someone in the
0: progressive movement would like to see more justices on a court. They'd like to pack the court. Is that a wise idea, quickly?
5: I'd have to look at it. And that's not in our purview. What I would tell you, though, is I do think you've really got to look at having somebody on a court for 50 years is a bit much.
0: Okay, I want to change gears and talk about the opioid crisis, Tim, uh, in North Carolina and and across this country. It's plaguing this nation. How are we doing here?
2: We're we're like we're like so many other states. I, I've actually heard this said, and I think it's accurate. North Carolina is essentially a border state, if you will. Most of these drugs are coming in through Mexico. And ever since President Biden was elected, the border has essentially been thrown open and the record amounts of drugs coming through are, are just unmatched by anything. And if you talk to any folks in law enforcement, any folks dealing with this, they'll tell you that's where this is coming in from. And it's, you know, that with the fentanyl that's being used to la- to, to to lace it, it, it's an absolutely terrible situation. And um, not only from those who were knowingly taking it and knowingly abusing it but folks who may not know in fact and we've put a lot of resources into it all all, all of these gentlemen here have all voted for that but we are struggling to keep up with it we have to find a way to stop the flow of these dangerous drugs coming into the country that has to happen
0: Attorney General Stein Dan has worked on this problem
3: yeah he has uh, I think he was part of a recent settlement uh, uh, settlement I think it' was about $20-some billion, yeah, billion, but $750 million million of it, coming here, right? Coming to North Carolina. Right. Uh, and we've all been working on it. But I think part of the problem, uh, Mark, is that what we have uh, with this addiction now, and especially with opioids, is a new way of doing it. we got the synthetic stuff. Uh, which is totally different than the plant based stuff uh, that we have built a system to detect and to snuff out. Uh, you can tell when somebody's planting it. You know, we could look at poppy fields and stuff and know where stuff was going. Now, somebody can just get uh, uh, their material, a chemist, get in a lab somewhere, and you don't know that the production is going on. And it gets put out into circulation, not in the same kind of volumes, but much more dangerous stuff. And so we're paying that price, which means that we've got to change the way uh, that we're policing it, uh, the change the way that we're treating it and maybe uh, emphasize even more the treatment part of it uh, and dissuading people from taking uh, these drugs in the first
0: place. What do we do about the cartels, though, who are just sending the poison in this country, Jim?
4: I think that goes back to a comment the speaker made about securing those borders and trying to stop it before it gets into the country. You, you know, another aspect that people don't think about and don't talk about because the, the epidemic is, is horrible and we see the front end and we see the death, but families on the back end, when Foster kids. Uh, they have, well, they have individuals who have to go through autopsies. We have to right. get uh, toxicology reports. Those families are living, continuing to live that nightmare for another nine months in some instances,
5: and we've got to do some stuff to relieve that as well. Robert, your thoughts? I just have to push back a little bit, because if I'm not mistaken, Biden's been in office for a year and a half. And the drug problem, my recollection is, existed in America before President Biden got in office. And we lost prob-
0: 100,000 people last year to fentanyl overdoses, right?
5: Right. And we've had a drug problem in this country for years that neither Republican nor Democratic administrations have adequately addressed. It's not about just securing the borders. It's about drug education. It's about drug enforcement within the borders. It's about stiffening some of the penalties that you have for people who do bring drugs in here, but it's not just a problem from South America. It's not just a problem from China. It's not just a problem from Europe. This is the entire world dealing with this. So I mean, if opioids are being dealt with in Europe, their problem isn't from South America, their problem is that we've got a culture that has not done what it has to do to adequately address drug enforcement for those who sell as opposed to those who use.
2: It, just, Mr. Speaker, I, just wrap this no, up in about 30 seconds. No, Go ahead. and I agree with what, what Robert said, but I think if you look at the trends and the numbers, everything now shows that the, the amount of drugs coming in across the border right now, is just simply overwhelming the system. That that that's the problem. But it needs to be, and all of the above, it needs to be dealing with that. It needs to be treatment. I think you're exactly right, Dan. Yeah. We need to put more on treatment, and and it's, it's and we need to do more as far as uh, other things societally. Uh, and and so it is a treatment base for the uh, for those who use it. But there's also a significant part of punishment of those who are uh, distributing it and Only selling two it and everything. That's all punishment. Uh, in some cases, we
3: certainly are, and I agree with them on that. But but what I'm saying is, it it is an overwhelming supply because f- folk have figured out new ways. To, to generate this stuff. It's not just coming in from South, from, from South America or Central America. It's being produced here in the United States with people with chemistry labs and stuff so that they can make all the synthetic stuff. That's why you got such an increase in death from it. It's much more dangerous than the plant-based opioids that we had gotten accustomed to and that we've been trying to enforce the law on.
0: Great conversation on that. I, we've got to wrap real uh, soon, but I want to talk to you quickly and go around the horn should we lift
2: the COVID state of emergency in North Carolina, my friend? We should abs- we should have already lifted the COVID state of emergency. We're one of just a handful of states that still have it in place. Um, they, you know, if you got to remember the re- the reason all those initial things were put in place was a concern about the overrunning the medical system. We don't have that now. We need to we need to lift it
3: quickly. Yes or no? We probably should, uh, but we ought to ought to take precautions because we know the the it, it's still with us.
4: Jim,
5: the general assembly's in session. We should absolutely lift it.
0: Okay, quickly.
5: Yes, and we got to work together to make sure we put things in place to protect us and otherwise.
0: Great job, gentlemen. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend.
1: Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Koo Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities, and by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.